All right, Jordan, we got some catching up to do here. Uh, we did not post an episode the last couple of weeks for a variety of reasons. Uh, one week it was because our schedules got crossed and we weren't able to, to actually get on the horn to record one. Uh, it happens. And then last week, oh man, I got to give full disclosure here. Uh, I was editing the podcast that we did record, the episode we did record, and I spilled my drink that was on the desk next to my laptop on the keyboard and that was that for that laptop. RIP to my previous MacBook Air. Uh, took it in to see if they could repair it. It would have cost about as much as getting a new one. So I am talking to you on a new laptop. I guess that's the silver lining. But um, but that's why we couldn't post an episode last week. So here we are after a two-week forced hiatus uh, trying to get it all back on track. Yeah, it's a, it wasn't that we didn't record a podcast last <laughs> week. It's just, uh, you know. Delivery didn't quite get there, but yeah. uh, the the camera on this uh, this new laptop it looks great. Oh, terrific! Thank you. Yeah. yeah. When it came to last week's uh, podcast recording, we're talking about practice, man. <laughs> it was practice, man. Uh, this week, the real deal, though. When we start with our pregame warm up, I'm going up to Vegas here uh, in a couple of days. Actually, we're going to be there for less than 48 hours uh, to broadcast alongside Rich Miano for Spectrum Sports Pay Per View, the University of Hawaii football game against UNLV from Allegiant Stadium. So, looking forward to that. Um, Vegas is cool, right? It's known as the Ninth Island. They have a perpetual trophy. There's going to be a bleep load of Hawaii people in Sin City this weekend because you also got the Max Holloway fight. But uh, got me thinking right you've been to vegas i've been to vegas a multitude of times uh i'm not like the biggest gambler or anything like that but what is your favorite vegas attraction are you a casino guy are you a sit at a dimly lit poker table or playing blackjack or tugging on the slot machines are you more of a of a shows or shopping kind of guy what's your favorite vegas attraction yeah i i i'm not a huge gambler but i do enjoy it um, and there's there's just nothing quite like the energy in a sports book when there's like a big game going on. Hell, it might not even be a big game, but just the energy in a sports book. You know, I've I, I haven't been there for Super Bowl week, but I have been there for the first weekend of the NCAA tournament. And I tell you, man, that that is a blast. Like you really don't even need to wager. Like you don't even need to spend money. But if you just hang around the sports book and the energy with games going on from from morning to, to late at night. And, and that weekend is just a buzz. Like they, you know, some, cause some hotels, they, they close down ballrooms and they set up a giant book in ballrooms and they're setting up tables and food and drink and TVs galore screens galore. Now I, I got to go to this new circle one, that, that, that outdoor pool one, the stadium book, whatever the hell they're calling it. I haven't been there yet. I can only imagine what that thing's like on a big game. Uh, yeah, there's just nothing quite like there, there's nothing you can replicate, right? You can go, um, you can go to to pools. You can find casinos maybe outside of Vegas. You can do some shopping, some all you can eat. You can go watch a concert elsewhere. Uh, but like a Vegas sports book, big game. That's there's nothing like. It. Yeah, like I've always loved like the Cirque du Soleil shows and some of that form of entertainment uh now you have professional sports right i mean you have the raiders for crying out loud you got yeah. the vegas knights which was the first ice hockey team i've ever seen play in person and that was a fantastic experience but yeah i would say the greatest vegas experience i've ever had was going up for a friend's bachelor party weekend and it was the opening weekend of the ncaa tournament just like what you were describing and we got this booth this big old booth 
in front of a massive allotment of television screens at the old ESPN zone. I don't even know if it's still there. It was in the New York, New York. And we got these prime seats in this booth, all of these TVs in front of us. And we were there from the first game of the day to the last game of the day. And there were many a pitcher of adult beverages that we sifted through en route to watching all these games. And man, it was the best. And we did have a little bit of action on some of them. And, and so it added to the, the drama for sure. But man, that that is for me. You're right. I mean, I guess theoretically you could do that anywhere but for some reason in vegas legally betting at that time uh in front of all these tvs it's not something you necessarily had uh access to here so uh yeah that's my number one vegas uh thing to do yeah is uh just watch sports which is kind of what i do all the time so yeah not very original or creative and with that, we welcome you to the show. Uh, we got some catching up to do, as mentioned, but we are going to catch up with one of our good friends, Matt Humans of the Vegas Stats and Information Network. He's the editor over there, also a betting contributor for ESPN and the New York Post. Uh, and so a lot to talk about. Uh, he's a guy who follows University of Hawaii football pretty closely, right? UH football notorious for being that chase game, that last game of college football Saturday, uh, really puts the program front and center for a lot of gamblers and bettors across the country. It's kind of an interesting aspect and, and, and funny how that dynamic has played out over the last several decades. Uh, but he's going to get into some talk about this UH-UNLV matchup. Also, the crazy topsy-turvy nature of this NFL season and what it looks like through the lens of the sports gambler. So a lot to get to with Matt Newmans. We look forward to that. But first, let's get to our game time. And our first topic, UH football. Usually we break down the past weekend's game alone, uh, but we got to go back like three weekends. So UH football goes one and two here the last three weekends, Jordan. Hawaii topped the New Mexico State Aggies at home in a game that featured two pick sixes over 75 yards for UH, a 75-yard touchdown run by Calvin Turner, an absolutely monster rushing performance by the one-parson party running back Diedrich Parson. Following week, though, on the road against the Utah State Aggies, Warriors gave up 51 points in a 51-31 decision that also marked the return of Chevin Cordero as the starting quarterback after three games of not throwing a pass. Tossed for 296 yards, three touchdowns, and one interception. I thought he actually looked pretty good at some zip on his balls. UH netted a total of 12 yards rushing, though, after going for over 200 yards on the ground in four previous games this season. And then last week, against 24th-ranked San Diego State, they came into Ching Complex in front of about a half-capacity crowd. The limits were finally pulled off. You could fill it up, but it was about half full. Uh, and San Diego State took down Hawaii in a low-scoring 17-10 result. Both offenses struggled to really get any kind of legitimate, consistent traction going. And then in the closing moments, you had Chevin Cordero completing a third down pass to Parson over the middle, short of the line to gain. And because they couldn't clock the ball since it was fourth down, UH wasn't able to get lined up to run a legitimate play in time. They didn't get the snap off and the clock expired. That's how the game ended. So this week, Hawaii travels to UNLV to take on a Rebels team that logged its first win of the season. At New Mexico, Rainbows have to win all three of their final games to become bowl eligible. My question to you is, what's going on with this team? What do you expect here in, in this weekend's matchup, which has some interesting storylines, Hawaii connections on both sides? Yeah, I think for this this group, right, and, and you look at some of the more consistent recurring themes with this team, sure, the, the Utah State game, defense didn't play well that's there's no doubt about that but but for the most part over the last two-thirds 
of their 10 games or so, like the defense has been getting better and they're taking the football away against some of the top home opponents, San Jose State, Fresno State, and now San Diego State. They've put themselves in position to go win that game. And they basically won that Fresno State game, right, with the six turnovers. Uh, They put the offense in position to have the football on the final drive of the game to go down and either tie the game or or win the game in, in both the San Jose State and the San Diego State games. And so I think overall body of work, the defense has been solid. Like they're they're top five in the country in total turnovers. That's pretty darn good. And that's very much in the mold of, of Todd Graham coach teams. The problem is they have a negative turnover differential while being top five in takeaways with nearly five defensive scores in this. And so offensively, that's the flip side of the coin, right? The overall overarching theme for this offense is it hasn't been great. It really hasn't. They turn the ball over way too much. They are dead last in the FBS in terms of turtle turnovers. Uh, I think they're at 24 or something like that with 21 takeaways. And so it, it, I think that's been the frustrating part, right? Because this hasn't been just a total debacle. Like they aren't a bad football team, right? If you look at it from UNLV's standpoint, like they're one and eight, like that that's not a good football team. But for this Hawaii squad that is still very much scratching and clawing and trying to get their way into a bowl game, They've shown they've had the pieces, right? We've seen some of the offensive output, whether it's been sure against lesser opponents in Portland State and New Mexico State, but we've seen a little bit of it, partly against, um, you know, the running game against a, a Fresno and Nevada early on. And, and so it's it, that's the frustrating part, right? This is a Hawaii team that has put up points in the past, right? The last couple of years, 2018, 2019, highly successful years, over 30 points scored per game. And I, I got kind of curious because, you know, Todd Graham, his, his MO has always been, and we get into a little bit with, with Matt humans, the defense is kind of living up to what you expect from Todd Graham coach teams, but the offense isn't like all of his stops, his teams put up points, man. And I'm talking points like one year at Tulsa, they averaged 41 points a game. They were second in the country overall. Uh, and so, you know, he had 12 years of head coaching experience prior to coming to the university of Hawaii. In nine of those 12 years, his teams averaged at least 30 points a game. And 30 points a game usually gets you into the top 50 in the country. And only one of those 12 prior years, Bryce, Tulsa, Pitt, and Arizona State, did his teams finish worse than 44th, 44th nationally in terms of scoring offense. That was that Pitt year, which was kind of, you know, a mediocre year by his standards and ends up parlaying that into the Arizona State job. So only once that they finished worse than 44th in scoring offense. The two years here at Hawaii, last year was 26.2 points per game. That was good for 85th in the country. And then this year, albeit different offensive coordinator, the offense has upticked a little bit, 27.3 points per game, but that's only 76th in the country. And if you take out the Portland State and the two New Mexico State games, the other seven, they're averaging 19.3, which would put them in the bottom 10 offensively and so it's it's it hasn't matched up right with with what his teams have looked like in the past and whether it's not fitting a system whether Chevron Cordero doesn't quite fit whether it's Bo Graham not being the guy um because the other thing that Bo Graham has done I mean excuse me Todd Graham has done he's found offensive play calling talent Major Applewhite Gus Malzahn Chad Morris Mike Norvell Chip Lindsay Billy Napier those are his offensive coordinators in his previous 12 years all of them became division one FBS coaches, head coaches, and all of them put up points 
at all of their stops. Some of them no longer coaching, you know, Chad Morris, major Appaway, no longer head coaches, but Billy Napier is doing pretty well at Louisiana Lafayette. Chip Lindsay's doing really well at Troy. Mike Norvell's the head coach of Florida State. And so, you know, this, this he's he's found guys before. And so whatever he saw in Bo Graham, you could, obviously that opens up Pandora's box, right? When you hire a family member that comes with the territory, he's more or less acknowledged that. Um, but when you look at the proof in the pudding, like it hasn't added up to what he has used as success to win football games in the past. And something's got to change. Uh, whatever that is, I don't know at this point, right? And and so against UNLV, I think it'll probably be a pretty competitive game. Like the way that this offense is played, um, I don't know what leads you to believe that they will all of a sudden explode. It is a UNLV team that is one and eight, but they've been pretty competitive in a lot of their games. And if Hawaii's defense continues to play that they the way that they have, I mean, you got to imagine that they they will put Hawaii in a position to at least be there late in the ball game against UNLV. And I think the, the line shows that we get into that with Matt. It's basically a field goal game, depending who you ask in Vegas. So yeah, I kind of anticipate a pretty good football game. We'll yeah. see how entertaining it is. Yeah. And we will get into a little bit more of an in-depth discussion about this game and, and the matchups and the programs and even the coaches with Matt Newman. So don't want to spoil too much of that, but uh, yeah, I, I agree with you. I, I, as far as I, I feel like the issue right now has to be focused on the offensive side of the ball. I mean, we kind of felt like they were figuring something out, right? Particularly when it came to what their primary function was going to be, which was establish the running game. Ironically, they seemed to do so when Chevin Cordero was not the starting quarterback and they had to, if you will, kind of refine or consolidate some of the offensive schematics and play calling to compact it so that Braden Shager, the freshman quarterback, could just be a little bit more of a director or conductor of the offense, right? A, a game manager, not necessarily a guy that you run or design your offense through, Um they were able to run the ball successfully, whether it was Day-Day Hunter or when he went out, Diedrich Parson. I mean, we figured out, wow, this is a team that behind this big offensive line, they can establish the run. That opens up some of the short passing routes for Shager. He's able to complete enough passes with enough efficiency that they at least give themselves a chance, right? Uh, it didn't work out, obviously, on the road at Nevada, but they were able to get a couple of pretty solid wins with Braden Shager at the helm because of what they established offensively as an identity via the run game. Uh, but since Chevin Cordero has come back and since they've been able to at least theoretically once again widen the scope of the play calling calculus, they have not been able to run the ball effectively. We mentioned just the putrid numbers on the road against Utah State, they failed to reach triple digits in rushing this past week against San Diego State. And hey, look, the Aztecs, their calling card is defense. And so I don't think any of us were expecting this explosive performance by the Hawaii offense, but it still seemed as though they got away from what it felt like they had discovered in the previous weeks when they did get a couple of key wins. And so it leaves us once again in this gray area, this, this place of uncertainty. We don't know what what he's going to look like offensively, tactically speaking, schematically speaking, when they take the field at Allegiant Stadium against UNLV. And that becomes once again the concern. What are they trying to do? What do they see themselves as being in terms of their offensive definition? All that stuff is once again very much up in the air. All right, we switch it over to the hardwood. We got our first look at the Rainbow Warrior basketball team. That's right at the time of this recording. Hawaii tipped off the Outrigger Resorts Rainbow Classic by topping University of Hawaii Hilo. 
in that opening game. The Bows got out to a 21-3 advantage, but the Vulcans fought back to within eight in the second half, and that's when Manoa really took over, going on a 24-2 run. They would win 97-67. You had six players for Manoa scoring in double figures, led by Junior Madut, 17. Fairly quiet overall effort for the highly hyped Texas transfer, Kamaka Hepa, who was one for three, made a three-pointer, had a couple of block shots. Uh, Hawaii Manoa with the distinct size and physicality advantage over the very youthful Vulcans team of Hawaii Hilo. Uh, Hawaii was also given some awful news earlier in the week when it was announced that Samuta Avea and Juan Munoz, two projected starters. Samuta obviously was poised to make his return after the opt-out year last year. He was going to be one of their key players on the wing. Juan Munoz was projected to be their starting point guard and possibly their best three-point shooter. Both of them, it was announced, are going to miss the entire season due to injuries and being forced to get surgery to tend to those injuries. And so with all that in mind, and Hawaii moving on to play a very tough Northern Colorado team on night two of the Rainbow Classic out of the Big Sky Conference, what did you make of the Rainbow Warriors debut? Yeah, I, I thought, you know, it was going to be really interesting to see, and I know they played Chaminade in the exhibition last week, just how this team plans to operate without those two guys, right? Without Juan Munoz. Who, by the way, was sporting that pretty sweet Colt Brennan shirt. Is that, that was cool. On the broadcast? That was cool, yes. That was really cool. Um, he and Samuta, obviously, in street clothes um, on, on the bench. But, uh, yeah, I, I just wanted to point that out. I, I thought that was really cool. And just how this team was going to operate without those two guys, right, and, and who's going to step up and, and what the backcourt in particular was going to look like because you are a bit depleted there. Um, and it was a little dicey at times last night, and, and I think that goes with first official game of the season and also you're playing a Division two opponent. And so sometimes, you know, it takes a little refocusing to get going. And when they got things cut to eight in that second half, they all of a sudden flipped the switch and turned it on, which is, you know, encouraging to see. But I think the real test is going to be tonight, right, as we record this on Thursday against a really good Northern Colorado team. Uh, and that'll be the true test. But I think from, you know, watching a, them play a, a much inferior opponent in UH Hilo, you're just kind of looking like, OK, who looks the part, right? Um, who who looks like they're going to play a role here? Because one thing we saw from Aranganat last night, uh, he was willing to play, what, about 10 guys and give them all meaningful minutes uh, and find out who's ready to go, right? And, and who's ready for the fire, if you will. And and I think they do have some potential in the background. I know they started basically, right? Noel Coleman, Javon McClanahan, and Junior Madut kind of on the perimeter. Um, but I kind of like what I saw from Memorial Lotto I think he's dynamic. I think he's got a, a, a gear to him. Uh, he's a guy that can put the ball in the basket. Uh, and I think he's he's got a lot of potential to maybe be a significant contributor in the guard rotation, more, more maybe even than the coaching staff and a lot of people observing the program thought. Um, and again, this is based off of two halves against UH Hilo. So we'll, we'll find out a lot more tonight. Um and then obviously a lot of people, I think, have their eyes on Kamaka Heffa, right? The dude was a top 50 recruit in the country coming out of high school. Um, he was big time. He was at Texas for three years. And so what's his role going to be, right? Is he going to be impact transfer that leads the team in scoring? I don't get that vibe from him. I don't think it's because he's not that dude, right? Like he gives you a ton of energy. He's good on defense. He will bother a lot of opponents defensively he will grab rebounds he moves the basketball 
And so I don't, I kind of see his role being a little bit more of a glue guy that does a little bit of the dirty work as opposed to the guy they're going to rely on to go out and score 15, 20 a night. I don't know if he's that guy. And if he turns into that guy, great, right? He's 6'10, he can shoot for three, he's big bodied. Um, he's not afraid to get in there and get a little physical. Um, but that's kind of just the sense. And again, this is all based on two halves against UH Hilo <laughs> and, and a little bit of exhibition action against Chaminade last week. Um, but I think, you know, evaluating off of this first game is a lot of just kind of seeing what guys bring to the table and, and what the pieces are going to look like once they get into games that, that are a little more impactful. Yeah, I think now we have two games, if you count the exhibition, where sure. Kamaka Hepa was not necessarily a standout player, right? Didn't make the splash that I think a lot of people were expecting from him. And hey, look, the expectations are high on this guy. And it's probably a little unfair to expect him to come out like gangbusters as he's trying to get acclimated to this brand new program, this new system, right? With a lot of new faces and some players who they thought were going to be in the rotation that aren't now available and to projected starters at that. And so I think it's a it's going to be a combination, right? Aranganat, it sounds like, is convinced that Kamaka Hepa is a guy that they can run the offense through, or at least they can they can find offensive success through. Whereas now it does appear as though he's a guy that's just trying to run the offensive scheme, right? Move the ball from one sideline to the other, kind of get in where he fits in, and it just hasn't really presented itself for him. So I think it's a combination. It's a combination of him changing the mentality of being a supporting cast player at Texas, right, under uh, both Shaka Smart and also under Coach Beard, and now having to adopt a greater role, right? We saw that transition made by Noah Allen, who did so very successfully. We saw Jack Purchase, who came over from Auburn, uh, and he developed eventually, took a little more time in his case, but developed eventually into being quite a go-to, and in fact, both ends of the floor type of, of contributor and strong performer for Hawaii. Kamaka Hepa has to figure that out, I think, mentally, first off, right, is all right, with at what point point can I start to call my own number? How aggressively can I try to seek my own offense? But I think a lot of that is on the coaching staff too, right? Schematically, they have to find ways to present him with opportunities. And he is being used a lot right now, squaring up to the basket, right? On the perimeter because he's such a good three-point shooter. But I kind of think, and this is just, you know, the layman on the outside looking in, I kind of think that he's a guy that because of his length and size and, and range, uh, that he can be used similarly, at least in some instances, to how they've utilized Bernardo da Silva here in the early goings of this season, where they get the ball down low in the paint to him. And, and again, yeah, Bernardo da Silva, who had standout games against Chaminade and Hilo, they have the physical height advantage, does Manoa. So we'll see how that even translates here as they move into tougher competition. Uh, but yeah, I think it's going to be twofold as to how the development of Kamaka Hepa as a more... Uh, stout and and more important aspect of this Rainbow Warrior offense, how that progresses. Uh, as far as Amor Lotto, though, I'm with you, man. I, I thought he was maybe the standout player of that game just because there wasn't a lot in the way of, of anticipation for what he was going to do. When you talk with Aranganan and company, he was like one of the last guys mentioned when it came to that backcourt rotation. And you have to assume he got some of those minutes last night because of the fact that Juan Munoz wasn't out there. And I think it worked out. He looks like he might have some of the best quickness between the baselines, right? Between the free 
free throw lines going up and down the floor uh, and wasn't scared to pull his own number when it came to uh, when he got looks from outside the arc, hit a couple of threes. So, yeah, I really like the upside of that guy. And, and uh, yeah, it's a story that is just getting started, and there's a lot more that's going to be written here, in fact, this weekend in the Rainbow Classic. All right, we move back over to the gridiron on the prep level. Some drama that we weren't able to really exploit here the last couple of weeks on the podcast because of the aforementioned issues. But in ILH football, after getting narrowly knocked off twice in the regular season by Kamehameha Kapalama, the St. Louis Crusaders flipped the script in a big way in the postseason, beating the Warriors 41-7 two weeks ago. And since that was an ILH playoff game, it effectively forced a winner-take-all ILH championship matchup between the teams this past weekend. And again, St. Louis came out on top with a 35-21 win to claim the league title and an automatic berth into the state tournament. A.J. Bianco was again terrific. The Crusader quarterback, UH verbal commit, went over 300 yards passing, over 100 yards rushing, accounted for three total touchdowns in the win. Crusaders were able to limit the Kamehameha running game for the most part the last couple of weeks, which wasn't the case in those regular season meetings. So St. Louis is now poised to go for their fifth straight state title. What stood out to you most about this turnaround march by St. Louis to a league title? Yeah, just how steadily they got better. Uh, you got to give a lot of credit to, to Ron Lee and, and the coaching staff, just kind of staying the course and getting this group better and better every week. The defense really kind of turned it on, uh, especially against Kamehameha, uh, a team that had run with good success against them. And, and look, to be fair, Kamehameha's top running back and their best player in Seal Bartley um, was a little little banged up the last couple of games against St. Louis. But uh, the Crusaders overall defensively were much improved. And then A.J. Bianco, man. And, and you know, it's it's the St. Louis program that you just expect the quarterback to be that dude, right. To be that guy that is a high division one prospect. Um, but a lot of things were working against AJ Bianco, right. Uh, he got hurt last or as a sophomore. So he, while he was backing up Jaden Delora, so he didn't get too much playing time when usually the backup at St. Louis, because they're blowing everybody out gets a decent amount of playing time. Um, Vinny Passis is up in Vegas doing his thing up there. So he's no longer full-time on the staff there at St. Louis. And, and really he is the secret sauce, right? To all these guys that have just paraded through St. Louis's quarterbacks. Um, and he missed out on his junior year and, and had a very abbreviated senior campaign up to this point. And, and he just needed to play in games and his verbal commitment to Hawaii, I think is a huge steal for Todd Graham and that staff because he just has turned it on and, and the, the quarterback, and I, I got to call a majority of their games this season, watching him in the first couple of games and then watching him in the last couple of games, I'm drastic, just drastic in how much better he was playing. And I honestly just think it came with reps and confidence. It wasn't like he all of a sudden learned how to do things, right? Or from a physical standpoint, he had all the tools. But he ran for like eight touchdowns over the last five games. Uh, he's throwing it all over the place. The fundamentals are through the roof. He's got a huge arm big physical like he's everything you want in a quarterback and and we're seeing that and and uh if he keeps doing this right i don't know how many more games they'll actually get a play before the start of the state tournament later on in december um i i gotta imagine teams aren't going to give up on the pursuit of this guy even though he's given his verbal commitment to hawaii because i i do think teams will see what he has done this year after finally getting to play some games and they'll 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 be reminded why this guy was offered by like nebraska before he even took a varsity snap right and so he he's he's the real deal yeah there are going to be some programs the secrets out right on this guy and i, I think he's now 
presenting himself as being a guy that is most definitely an FBS level quarterback. And so there are going to be some other programs knocking on the door. Hawaii's going to have to stay persistent in that recruiting effort, even though they've already received the verbal commitment, they're going to have to stay on this guy uh, in terms of, of making sure that they're able to get him to put that pen to paper when it comes to signing day. Cause uh, yeah, I think he's that good. He has busted out in that way. Paul Honda writer for the Honolulu star advertiser. Uh, he coined it as a metamorphosis as to what we have seen in terms of the trajectory and improvement of AJ Bianco this season. So uh, yeah, that kind of says it all. And Hey man, it's St. Louis doing St. Louis things. You can change the head coach from one Lee brother to the other Lee brother. You can change quarterbacks. You can change quarterback coaches. Um, the Crusaders just still have that kind of talent. Maybe not roster wide as we've seen in some previous years, uh, but it's St. Louis football. It's a rich tradition and um, just kind of amazing how even in years where they look vulnerable, uh, this staff, these players, they can still figure it out. All right, so we switch things over. We're going to introduce our guy, Matt Humans in just a little bit. But as mentioned, because of the last two weeks of our forced hiatus, I've got a little catching up to do. And we will do so via a segment, that's right, backed by popular demand, we call What the Bleep. We bring up things that are maybe a little bit oogie, dicey to talk about uh, and ask the very obvious question, What the Bleep? Our first one, Phoenix Suns owner, Robert Sarver. ESPN posted a piece on the hostile work environment within the Suns organization revolving around alleged racist, sexist, and misogynistic comments and behavior by Sarver. He has, of course, denied these claims, but the NBA is reportedly conducting an investigation to see if this rises to the level of systemic wrongdoing, as was the case in the Donald Sterling Clippers situation that could give Adam Silver the grounds to forcibly remove Sarver from the league. Now, the guy I feel the most for is Chris Paul, who was with the Clippers organization when all of that stuff was going on. Now he's with the Phoenix Suns organization. All this stuff is going on. Hard to tell if it will rise to that level of, of egregiousness or controversy like we saw with the Clippers and Donald Sterling. But still, Jordan, I ask you the very specific question. What the bleep? It's ugly, right? The, the accusations, the allegations here. And Baxter Holmes' piece, uh, the fact that subsequent reporting by Holmes has alleged that Robert Sarver's wife is contacting ex-sons employees who were named as part of this, or at least she uh, felt were some of these anonymous sources for this article. Like, that's a bad look. It just paints a picture, right? To whatever degree that Robert Sarver crossed the line, was insensitive, used racist language, misogynistic language, however he operates, whatever degree, it just paints a picture of a tyrannical workplace, a guy who just has a massive ego that is controlling in all the wrong ways that just runs a business because that's what this is, his way or the highway. And it's just toxic, right? He just sounds like a toxic individual and a nightmare to work for. Um, and you know, it's not unique, I think, to professional sports. I think it's far too pervasive in like corporate America, right? You, you, when it comes to, to CEOs, and that's basically what he is of this multi-billion dollar company, right? When you include the Suns, uh, the Phoenix Mercury, he also has um, controlling ownership in a Spanish soccer club uh, over in Spain. I think it's Mallorca if I'm not mistaken. And so he's, he's got a lot of business, right. To go along with, I believe it's real estate where he made his money. 
And so it's just, it's far too commonplace. You hear these stories, right. Of, of guys who, you know, are borderline sociopaths, right. And, and maybe that's how they get to, to that position of power. And that's how they accumulate so much wealth and influence. And, and then when they get a chance to, you know, run their own ship, uh, it is, it is rough. It is tough to be around. Um, and look, as a boss, you don't have to be the guy that everybody likes, but you also can't be using racist language. You can't also, you know, to be a control freak, a micromanager and all this kind of stuff, even from a basketball standpoint, let alone just the business standpoint. Yeah. Whatever degree, all of these things turn out to be true or not. Uh, it just sounds like a toxic environment workplace. And the dude sounds like he is miserable to be around. And it's kind of gotten to the point where, once again, the league is going to have to investigate and do something about it, right? Because if that's the case, and now, to be fair, guys like Monty Williams, some of the others have come out and said, right, that is not the experience that they have had so far during their time with the organization. So there is a bit of he said, she said element to this. Um, but again, whatever degree that is, it just the guy sounds miserable to be around and work for for a lot of these people. Yeah, some of this and some of these allegations, they go back as far as like 2004. So, yeah, we're not necessarily talking about recent activity or incidents. Uh, but I think to your point, there was actually a book written about this subject by a really talented writer, John Ronson. He wrote a book called The Psychopath Test. And basically it was suggesting by the standard of the adopted psychopath test, many a CEO in corporate America would probably be diagnosed as having psychopathic behavior, basically a lack of empathy, right? And it does require, I think, a certain level of cutthroat mentality, right? To kind of step on your competitors to a degree that you succeed to that obscene a level financially, right? And so that's what you're talking about. You're talking about these people who are obscenely wealthy because of some of the decisions that they've made. And you can assume that, these individuals are probably lacking a certain empathy because that's what it takes to be that competitive, be that cutthroat. And so we shouldn't be too surprised when a lot of times in these sort of endeavors of ego, right, where they decide, oh, I'm going to be an owner of a sports team, that there is an entitlement that they bring to the table in terms of their interpersonal interactions, right? I don't think that should be too much of a surprise. We've unfortunately seen more and more instances in this day and age where information can get out through so many different avenues and networks. Uh, I think we're just starting to become more aware that this type of behavior takes place. When you're, when, you're, when you're talking about people who are able to buy anything that they want, right, and realize any kind of dream or fantasy uh, that that is attainable via finance. Like these are people who live on a plane that we can't even understand. And so we shouldn't be surprised when they then introduce a certain level of entitlement uh, and misbehavior because there's never really been a reason why they've had to check themselves because that's not how many of them are wired. Now, I'm not trying to say that Robert Sarver is a psychopath, but I am trying to cite that book and suggest that we shouldn't be so surprised in instances like this. All right, we move on. And man, this guy has been holding the line on the headlines here in the last few weeks. Aaron Rodgers, quarterback for the Green Bay Packers. He missed last week's game against the Kansas City Chiefs after testing positive for COVID. The bigger story, the fact that it was reported that Rodgers is not vaccinated. Now, going back to August, 
Aaron appears to have misrepresented the truth when asked if he had been vaccinated, replying, yes, I've been immunized. A little play on words there. Reports have said that Rogers was seeking approval from the league for, quote, alternative treatment to be accepted on par with the vaccine. Rogers has been conducting himself on the sidelines and in postgame interviews as though he was vaccinated. No masks, which is not allowed for players who are unvaccinated. He has since been fined. Also calls into question what the NFL or the Packers knew about his vaccine status and if they gave him special treatment uh, in an interview on the Pat McAfee show. I mean, he was kind of filling out the Fox News bingo card, right? When he was talking about uh, cancel culture and the woke mob coming after him and just a lot of those key words that we see in all of these different types of dialogues and conversations uh, that somehow pertain to this issue, even though this should be a global health and community health type of issue. Uh, still, what do you think about Aaron Rodgers? I mean, I mean, what the bleep? What the bleep is appropriate, I think, for Aaron Rodgers. Uh, first of all, with the NFL, right, they, they find him, but it, it wasn't that much money. They find the Packers, like, $300,000. Like, that's kind of a drop in the bucket. I don't know if the NFL's being held to any accountability with any of this, right? I, I think it's kind of they're just waiting out the news cycle and, and once Rodgers comes back, we're all just going to kind of move on. But it really does seem like Aaron Rodgers, even though he claims that more or less he followed the masking protocols, except when it came to dealing with the media, which seems kind of egregious when you're talking to folks outside of the building. Uh, and this is based off of his appearance on the Pat McAfee show last week. I listened to that in its entirety. I didn't get a chance to listen to uh, his appearance this week where he kind of takes a little slightly more accountability for misleading statements and, and things of that nature. Um, but I don't know if the NFL will be held accountable and, and just to juxtapose, right. Rogers fine was like less than CD lambs for having an untucked Jersey. Like that's, and I get it. It's different things written in the player code of conduct, but it just, it doesn't look great. Right. When that, that's, that's sort of where it's at. And that's the accountability that Aaron Rodgers is being held to other than the fact that he's got to miss at least one game. We'll see if he's indeed back this Sunday against the Seahawks but he's just for as great a player he is right and none of this detracts from his accomplishments on the field and how good of a quarterback he has been over the course of his career the guy's incredible uh, but he's just so smug he is so smug right and and he often is the smartest player on the field it is why he has been so good it is why I think he has been so good this late into his career is because his mind is so sharp. He is a thinker. He is a guy, he is a critical thinker. And then he does that off the field as well. Right. And, and he often thinks that he is the smartest guy in the room. I think actually, I think he always thinks he is the smartest guy in the room. And there are a lot of rooms that he is going to walk into and that's going to be true. But if it's a room metaphorically that involves like, virologists, <laughs> immunologists, scientists, doctors. Like I'm, I'm not going to go with Aaron Rodgers and his 500 pages of research or whatever it is that he compiled in six months or whatever it was, right? Probably less than that that he talked about uh, and presented as part of his appeal process to the league. Like I'll, I'll probably side with the doctors and scientists who have been doing this for decades and have been studying this kind of thing for the better part of their professional lives. And that is just, I think, encapsulating of how Rogers thinks, right? He has that 
egotistical and and it kind of what we talked about with Robert Sarver. Like he has a superiority, whatever complex, whatever, right? He, I think, believes that he is smarter than just about everybody else. And to be honest, a lot of his life and professional career would lead him to believe that, right? There is a lot of reinforcement there when it comes to being in quarterback rooms, being on teams, being the guy at the line of scrimmage, toying with defenses, hosting Jeopardy, right? Like he is a thinker. That doesn't mean what he thinks is right. That doesn't mean what I think, what he thinks I agree with. But yeah, just the level of smug to him, right? It's just, oh man, what the bleep. Yeah, it was a little incongruent, right? I mean, he was saying I was doing the same kind of research that I did in preparing for hosting Jeopardy. And I'm like, you got the answers on the card, Aaron. Like, stop. <laughs> you're like, come on, man. Like, not like you're studying all of these topics. Yeah. You know, he's, he's talking about his friendship with Joe Rogan and listening to Joe Rogan's podcast. And it just it, it seemed for a guy who is such a critical thinker and, and such an independent thinker, uh, he certainly was drawing upon some of the talking points that you see on a particular side of this discussion. And, and that seemed a little strange to me. Uh, but I believe that what you say is, is correct, where I think he feels like he is that smart. And, and that's what threw me for a loop is when he's defending himself basically by saying he's a critical thinker and almost insinuating that those of us who did get the vaccine and in some cases the booster shot, that we are not as critical of thinkers. And, and that seems to be a dismissal, I think, of what should be a much more fruitful and focused conversation. This should not be a political issue. It should not be politicized. We should not be talking about the woke mob and cancel culture. That's not what we're talking about, Aaron. We're talking about public safety and we're trying to listen to the science revolving around public safety so that we take the necessary steps to get past this freaking nightmare that is the COVID pandemic so that we can start to live lives that do represent the quote unquote freedoms that we were previously accustomed to. Like that's the point we're trying to cross that bridge so we can get back to freedom. I totally understand the idea of having bodily autonomy. I am all for it, but it changes. The dynamic and the conversation changes and shifts when you are denying the science and the research that is behind some of these suggested tactics like getting vaccinated when you are around people, when you are trying to prevent the spread of a pandemic related virus. All right. So we move on to our last topic here in what the bleep. And really, this is quick. The Chiefs offense. I mean, what the bleep? Kansas City was the most dynamic offense over the last several seasons, really since the greatest show on turf and the St. Louis Rams from back in the day helping to lead the Chiefs to a Super Bowl title, another Super Bowl appearance. But since last year's Super Bowl, where the offense was limited by the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, this offense, Jordan, it has appeared for the most part to be neutered, like awfully mediocre. So very quickly, Kansas City, even though they've won their last couple of games, it has not been with very high style points. They beat Jordan Love and the Green Bay Packers, and it took a little something in order to do it. So what the bleep on KC? Yeah, it was mainly their defense that won them the, the, the Packers game last Sunday night. I think that's pretty spot on, right? You watch them and it's like, what the bleep is going on? Out here? <laughs> they got Patrick Mahomes. They got Tyreek Hill. They got Travis Kelsey. Where, you know, now they got Josh Gordon. Like, where did all the production go? And, and I think there are a couple things, right? The offensive line still, they haven't fixed that completely. They brought in some guys, injuries, 
didn't pan out in terms of performance. They're starting two rookies on the offensive line. Uh, and then it, it does seem, and, and the blueprint on them has sort of been drop everybody deep, keep everything in front of you and force them to drive the field as opposed to, you know, having Tyreek Hill hit home runs or Travis Kelsey pop big plays. Um, and Patrick Mahomes hasn't shown the self-discipline, I think at times to just take five, seven, eight yard passes. Like he, he still is the guy that is swinging for the fences, right? He is Joey Gallo. He is Aaron judge. <laughs> he is not, you know, with Merrifield. Uh, to borrow a guy who's just a high contact guy, right? Kansas City Royals, great. Whit Merrifield. What a pull. Uh, to, to, yeah, I figured it made sense. Chiefs, Royals, right? Same city. Uh, but yeah, he just, he's not content hitting singles. He wants home runs. And they you saw it in the Packers game. Like, as a guy who also has Travis Kelsey on multiple fantasy teams, like, just dump it down, Patrick. Just just hit the little check downs to the tight end. He's open a lot, and it, Mahomes just wants to to kind of sling it and you know, I get it. It's more fun that way. Right. But sometimes you gotta, you gotta nickel and dime to, to make a profit. Yeah. I think it would be different if the offensive line was playing better because you couldn't just drop everyone into coverage because then you'd allow Patrick Mahomes to just sit back yep. there and make throws and pick you apart. I think what has changed the dynamic is the fact that you can rush four, and this offensive line is not going to hold the line. And so Patrick Mahomes is getting hurried. He is getting forced out of the pocket. Usually he's been pretty good on the run, but that's kind of another strange anomaly here is that he hasn't been as accurate as we have seen him in past seasons. But yeah, I think it's just the, the pocket breakdown without seeing opposing defenses being forced to blitz with a very high frequency. Uh, I think that changes everything because then, yeah, you can do what the Tampa Bay Buccaneers kind of exposed to everybody drop back, keep all of these speedsters and all these dynamic pass catchers in front of you and make the Kansas city chiefs earn it without making mistakes. And to this point, I think what we've seen more often than not the Chiefs have made those mistakes. It's almost like, all right, we'll just keep daring you to, to do this stuff until you error. And they have turned the ball over, obviously, much more frequently than they have in past years. Uh, they're still in the mix. So, I mean, if you're talking about KC making it to the postseason, I think you'd still have a lot of people that are jumping on their bandwagon as being a possible favorite to go all the way. Uh, but they haven't looked the same. And I think it's because of that offensive line. But it's also because, well, what the bleep? And that's it for our What the Bleep segment. It is time to move to our discussion with our buddy, Matt Humans, Vegas Stats and Information Network editor, betting contributor, ESPN, and the New York Post. So let's get right to it. All right, Matt, good to be talking with you once again. Uh, we always get excited whenever Las Vegas enters the conversation. Of course, this week, it's a big week in Vegas from a Hawaii vantage point. You got the University of Hawaii football team playing at Allegiant Stadium against UNLV. So a whole bunch of Hawaii fans and visitors are going to be there. You also have Max Holloway fighting in the UFC. So uh, I hope you're ready for the Hawaii takeover over there in Sin City. Well, I think uh, there's so many Hawaiians that live in Las Vegas anyway. <laughs> it kind of, you know, the, it's the ninth island. So, yeah, it's going to be a great weekend, man, starting with this football game. And I have to tell you, even though I live in Vegas, I'm, I'm rooting for Hawaii to win this football game because – I don't like the UNLV football coach, and the more games they lose, the quicker they can get rid of him and hire a competent coach. Yeah. <laughs> All right. I love the hot takery very early on here in this interview. You know, it is an interesting matchup. You have a Hawaii team that's been reeling a little bit, really inconsistent offensively. You have a UNLV team who, under said head coach, got their first win of the season at New Mexico last week. Uh, how do you see 
this thing playing out from certainly your vantage point, uh, obviously looking through the betting lens. Yeah, I've been betting a lot of the Hawaii football games, not many of the UNLV football games, because the Rebels are just a, a strange team to figure out. They're a poorly coached team. Uh, the quarterback play has been uh, really bad for the most part for the entire season, but they have shown up and been competitive and covered some numbers in some games. I think once a team gets beat down so many times, these guys eventually just decide to fight back. And uh, UNLV has been competitive. Uh, I played I, – I bet that Hawaii-New Mexico State game over the total, it was like 59 or 60, and that game flew over the total. I think it was 48 to 34. And uh, But that New Mexico State's a pretty poor defensive team. And then last week against San Diego State, I had Hawaii plus seven and a half, and that hook came in uh, very valuable last week in the game that landed 17-10. I was – I know um, you guys were at the game, and I, I – I sent you a DM afterwards and Jordan responded to it. What was Siobhan Cordero thinking? You're at the 25, 30 yard line. You got 15 seconds left, no timeouts. If you're a, a junior high quarterback, you know, you can't throw the ball in the middle of the field like that. Uh, so I was really disappointed in the throw he made at the end of that game. But, you know, when you look at the box score, I think you have to be impressed or encouraged uh, by Hawaii's performance because uh, outgained San Diego State, what was it, about 260 to 225. Aztecs scored on a fake field goal. Uh, I thought Hawaii played well enough to win that game. And, that, you know, it's a pretty good San Diego State team, and at least in terms of defense and special teams. And, and typically a pretty good running team. And uh, I thought Hawaii did a, a pretty good job defensively shutting down the Aztecs' running game and Greg Bell last week. The quarterback play for San Diego State's been really bad the entire season, kind of like UNLV. Uh, so I think Hawaii wins this game, but I don't think it's going to be easy. And this number is pretty funny how the betting action on this has fluctuated throughout the week in Vegas. So the number opened three. There was a lot of sharp play actually on UNLV right away. The number dropped to Hawaii minus one and a half. And now there's been more sharp play come in later in the week on Hawaii. So now it's up to three and a half now. And uh, I know a couple sharp betters who were who hit Hawaii pretty big at minus three. I don't have enough confidence in uh, this Hawaii offense on the road to lay those points. I was going to bet Hawaii when the number was one and a half and I didn't pull the trigger. So now I'm not going to lay three and a half, but I might, might bet Hawaii on a cheap uh, uh, money line price this week, just to win the game. I, I don't know how you guys look at it, but, I have to have a lot of confidence in an offense to lay three and a half points on the road. And I, I just don't have a lot of confidence in this Hawaii offense on the road right now. What about you guys? Yeah, I, I think that's a pretty good summation of where this Hawaii football team is at. You know, it's, it's a team that has flashed a lot of potential. Uh, the defense, especially at home, uh, has kept them in a lot of games. But the offense, just just for whatever reason, hasn't been um, up to the task of, of kind of finishing off games or, or giving them a, a, a good chance to, to take advantage of what their defense is doing. And especially, um, you know, in, in some of these bigger games in, in against San Jose State, against San Diego State, where they're very much in position. So, yeah, it's it's not a if – you're, if you're laying points with Hawaii on the road in particular, right, they've also not won a road game uh, this season outside of a win at New Mexico State. So – you know, you're, you're, you're asking a little bit much and I know it's UNLV and I know they've been pretty bad 
but they are coming off of a win and they are, they have been competitive against some, some teams that maybe are above their weight class within the conference. Mm-hmm. Um, and Hawaii has been a lot better against the run, but when they've struggled defensively, it has been against heavy rush teams. And I know, you know, Charles Williams is a pretty darn good running back that, you know, he has. And, and so that'll be a pretty big key, but, but yeah, it's, it seems like one of those games, you know, at the bottom of the conference standings, and, and maybe there's some sharp betters out there that kind of feed off of some of these bottom feeders, but uh, it just seems like a game that I would, I would kind of stay away from mm-hmm. at least, at least, you know, putting, putting some big numbers down on it or, you know, if, you, if you're throwing a unit or something on this, like it's, it's not a, not a huge deal, but uh, if you're, if you're looking to make a big, big profit may not be the game for you. Yeah. You know, and I, I know Kanoa is going to go next, but I, Hawaii's defense has played well enough that I'm not sure what to expect on the total either when you, when you look at this because uh, UNLV did show some offensive potential last week. Cameron Friel, the young quarterback, looked uh, uh, out of his league when he first started to uh, get some experience this year. But he's gotten better every week. He's actually completing 64% of his passes. He's got six TDs and eight picks, which uh, look like weak numbers, but he's actually played much better recently in fact last week against new mexico uh Friel, uh t- 227 yards passing with two touchdowns i was surprised by that because i've always had a lot of respect for rocky long as a defensive coordinator and uh, new mexico had a bye week to prepare for a unlv offense that's not going to fool you or perplex you in any way when you prepare for it and new mexico couldn't get stops against unlv uh, that really surprised me anyway can uh, what's uh, what's your take on this one yeah, I mean, I think you just you introduce the factor of Hawaii playing on the road. And there's just been a schizophrenia for this program uh, when you compare how they play, how they're capable of playing at home versus uh, what the standard is, uh, at least on average, when they play away from home. Since 2016, Hawaii is 13 and 21 in road or neutral site games, 10 and 11 in Mountain West road games. Uh, so just from a win-loss standpoint, you see some of the inconsistency there. And then, like you said, when you talk about point total, you know, the defense has been a bit of an anomaly. They've scored four defensive touchdowns this season, and that's added to the point total in certain weeks. And, and so it's just there's this air of unpredictability for this Hawaii team uh, mm-hmm. on the offensive side and certainly when it comes to scoring points and, and what unit scores those points uh, that I'm kind of with Jordan. I just – uh, I'm a kind of a squeamish personality to begin with, <laughs> but, so I probably uh, would, would err on the side of caution when it comes to playing this game. And that's basically what I'm going to do, too. I just don't have enough confidence in Hawaii to, uh, to score a lot of points here to uh, cover a number like three or three and a half. I've actually I, I worked on this game this week because I wanted to bet Hawaii. Uh, the, the total is 56, 56 and a half, and that looks too high. I think the way that Hawaii is playing defense right now, that total looks too high. But then again, here's one thing. You guys can answer this better. You've, you've watched uh, probably every snap. I expected more creativity out of Todd Graham's offense, and I think it's been pretty much meat and potatoes. And uh, he doesn't really get into trickery much or do anything very creative. Is that a fair criticism? Yes, <laughs> it is. And I think, you know, if, if you if you find yourself on – Twitter wading into like Hawaii football Twitter. Uh, if you listen to some of the, the call-in shows here, uh, there is a, a tangible dissatisfaction, to put it nicely, um, with what they're doing on offense because it, it's, you know, he inherited a team that 
won 10 games in 2019, won a bowl game, made it to the conference championship game, scoring a fair amount of points. And yeah, it's a different type of offense, but you're also inheriting a quarterback who had a fair amount of starting experience, was never the full-time starter in Chevin Cordero. Uh, and you've, you've, you've got guys like Jared Smart, who was a thousand yard receiver under the old coaching staff and is kind of non-existent in this offense. You've got Calvin Turner, who is this dynamic transfer that came in from Jacksonville that is a human highlight reel. And we've seen it at times on just broken plays. Um, and he hasn't quite lived up to the production. We even saw last year in that shortened 2020 season. And so, yeah, it's one of those things. His son, Bo Graham, is the offensive coordinator. So that opens up Pandora's box when you talk about, like, look, it's, you know, the coach's kid is calling the plays and it hasn't been great offensively. And especially as you point out, like Todd Graham's MO has always been defenses that get after you and take the football away. They're doing that. I think they're doing that, to be fair. And offensively, his team's put up points, man. And the other thing he always was able to do was identify offensive play calling talent. Like he said, Gus Malzahn. Chad Morris, Chip Lindsey, Mike Norvell, um, Billy Napier. All those guys are like at one point division one head coaches. And a lot of them have had a decent amount of success uh, running their own programs and definitely scoring points. And so for, for this team and this offense to not be doing what it, or to have been what they are doing. And, and really it hasn't been what we have seen from Todd Graham teams in the past. Uh, I think the frustration has really kind of, boiled over in a lot of ways particularly when they've you know been in a lot of these games especially last mm -hmm. week against San Diego State but yeah that's I mean if you're from the outside looking in and you and you turn on this team right it doesn't look like a Todd Graham offense it, it, it doesn't and I think one of the other sources of evidence is the statistical totals and just the overall play of the aforementioned Chevin Cordero right I mean this is a guy we've seen and albeit in a sort of off and on backup slash starter role over the previous several seasons uh, inheriting the starter role full-time last year but we've seen him perform well and succeed and play well in the previous run and shoot offense and even in the transition to this run and gun last season he played well and put up numbers and there seems to have been a regression there and he was yeah. hampered by injury for three games and certainly that's going to mess up anybody in terms of an overall rhythm but he's not the same quarterback and this offense doesn't appear to be the same kind of threatening offense overall. And, and those are generalities for sure. Uh, but I think those are reasons for concern. Like, why is this experienced quarterback, and he's in his fourth year of college football, still uh, technically in standing a sophomore, is two years of eligibility remaining? Uh, why are we seeing him taking steps back at this stage of his career? I, I think those are, those are all questions that are valid and, and certainly bring up concern. Yeah, the play calling is going to be part of it. Uh, I was you know, last week when he made that throw at the end of the game. I was watching it in a sports book with uh, a friend. We both had Hawaii plus seven and a half, and obviously, I was kind of hoping Hawaii would just went go ahead and win the game. I've been fading San Diego State quite a bit. I think that's a team that does it with smoke and mirrors, and uh, was going to get exposed at some point. But I was like, go win the game, and. Uh, the guy I was with said, well, that's on the coach. You got to coach that. You can't let the kid throw in the middle. I said, no, nah, I'm putting that on the player. Uh, as an experienced player, you got to know you can't make that throw. So I'm not going to put that on Todd Graham, but I think the lack of creativity in the play calling is what bothers me. And in a game like this against San Diego State, if you pull out a couple trick plays and show some creativity, you got a great chance to win the game. I never saw that all night, and uh, that was what disappointed me the most. You got to be aggressive. Uh, when you're a home dog like that, you got to be aggressive and uh, come come up with some unconventional stuff to win a game like that. 
and uh, I haven't seen that from Todd Graham. We're used to Hawaii offenses being a little bit more entertaining uh, than what I've seen. Now, that New Mexico State game was entertaining. That was fun to watch. But that's pretty bad defense the Aggies have. Uh, I think I've got Hawaii winning this game 27 to 24. They're kind of like the, the theme of our conversation here. It doesn't seem to be a great betting game, right, with a total of 56. I would lean under, but it wouldn't be a big bet for me. And I like Hawaii to win the game, but I'm a little bit uh, – I guess a little bit of uh, my confidence in that is not high. Let's put it that way, because I, I don't have a lot of faith in this offense to get it done on the road. I do think Hawaii's defense is good enough to shut down Charles Williams or slow him down. Uh, he's got 823 yards and 10 touchdowns, 4.5 yards per carry. He's one of the best players in UNLV football history. Unfortunately, he's won very few games <laughs> in his uh, career. Uh, so he's going to leave uh, UNLV without any big wins. I, I don't know how much you guys watch UNLV, but I, I said um, Marcus Arroyo when we were talking at the start, I don't like him as a coach. When he was at Oregon, he was another guy who showed a lack of creativity as offensive coordinator. He held back Justin Herbert. And when UNLV hired him, I said, no, this is a terrible hire. This guy had a veteran quarterback to work with. and he, They threw screen passes and five-yard slants all day and didn't utilize the talent they had and didn't let Justin Herbert cut it loose. Don't hire this guy. And, you know, now he's 1-14 in his second year. And I questioned sometimes if he could coach a, a cat to chase a mouse. And a lot of people around UNLV say that he's just – he's got a really abrasive personality and he's uh, got a big ego. That's not the type of person you need to be if you're building a program. you got to be a high-enthusiasm guy. you got to be a people person. you got to be creative. Uh, you you got to do extra things to overcome the hurdles – to, to lift up a program like UNLV, and I don't think he's he can get it done. So I would like to see Hawaii win this game. But my, like I said, my confidence is not high. 27-24 uh, is what I'm going with. <laughs> yeah, I don't, I, don't, I don't think it's going to be anybody's pick of the week. Um, <laughs> it's not the one. lock of the year? Yeah, probably not the, the stone-cold lock of the year. <laughs> um, and that, that is kind of one thing that I, I did want to ask you about, Matt, was the, the temperature. And I and, – You've shared with us your thoughts, you know, some some folks maybe within the building. But what is the temperature kind of generally around Marcus Arroyo? Because you bring up a lot of those things that I think people, you know, will be quick to point out. The fact that Justin Herbert is so much better as a pro than he was at Oregon, playing against much better competition. And his offensive coordinator there was Marcus Arroyo. And he comes in, takes over this UNLV program that floundered under Tony Sanchez, when they had that experiment, trying to hire a high school coach. Now you bring in a first time head coach. They pumped a lot of money into this program and the facilities, and they've moved into this, you know, cathedral of a, of a sporting arena at Allegiant stadium. And, and I know that's not theirs, but when you combine that with what they're doing on campus and what they've constructed there, um, they're not getting a lot of return on investment. And uh, I'm, I'm, I've been rooting for the staff because they've they've got a, a Maui guy on the, the the staff in Chad Kalhaha who actually coached us in high school before mm -hmm. he left to go to, to Weber State. So I'm 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 rooting for their success. They've got a lot of Hawaii kids on the roster, including the quarterback Cameron Friel. But uh, what what is the kind of larger temperature around Arroyo and and the future of this program? Well, it's not very optimistic here. I don't think many people like him. But obviously, when you're one in 14, not many people are going to like you, even if you're a likable person. So uh, I think that you, you, 
you want to give the guy a little bit more of a chance to prove himself because I think the recruiting has been pretty good. They brought in some talent. Like you said, it's key to try to recruit places like Hawaii too. And you see it at Oregon. You know, you, you want to bring in uh, players like that. Hawaii's not going to keep all those guys home. And uh, you want to get some of that talent. I think Friel's got potential as a quarterback. It's interesting. Two years ago, I bet Justin Herbert at seven to one odds to be the um, top pick in the NFL draft. And at the time, the Westgate Superbook had Tua as the favorite. He was an odds on favorite at minus 350. And I was talking to one of the odds makers over there. I said, you guys got to be crazy. There's no way Tua should be the top pick in the draft. And they're like, well, who's it going to be? I said, well, it should be Justin Herbert. The guy's 6'6", 240. He's got a rocket arm. He's a straight-A student, smart guy. I, everything I've seen shows me that Justin Herbert should be the top pick in the draft. That's why I just bet him at 7-1 to odds. And then Joe Burrow came out and had the, you know, maybe the best season any quarterbacks had in the history of college football with 60 touchdowns and six interceptions. And US, uh, LSU goes 15-0. and So they, I can't argue with Joe Burrow being the top pick. But Justin Herbert was right there. But the whole time he was being held back, and I could see it by Marcus Arroyo, the offensive coordinator. And a lot of Oregon fans were frustrated with Arroyo. And I heard rumors of Mario Cristobal was looking for ways to demote him on his staff. And what's UNLV do? They step up and they hire this guy and give him a six-year contract. That's his typical a blunder by a UNLV athletic director who had one foot out the door anyway. So you, you threw out the phrase about, you know, pouring a lot of money into the program. You know, you see in a lot of businesses, you can pour as much money as you want into it. you got to hire the right people. Uh, I don't think Marcus Arroyo's the right people. So we'll see. You still got to give him a little bit of a chance. He's one on 14, but his personality has not shown that he's going to be a guy who's embraced uh, by the community. And uh, you got to win games to do that, too. So I, I've, I've heard the same things. You know, I don't know if you guys want to talk about it. I've heard the same things about Todd Graham, uh, even before he got hired by Hawaii, that he was not he was not liked by a lot of people at Arizona State or Pitt or whatever. Uh, I don't know, but I think people always like you if you win. Um, but we'll see if um, Todd Graham's the right guy at Hawaii or Marcus Arroyo's the right guy at UNLV. I would bet against Arroyo being the right guy at UNLV, but he, he's doing a decent job bringing in talent. And the key to anything – is you got to find the right quarterback and you got to coach him up. And uh, if you don't have the right quarterback, you're not going to win many games anyway, no matter how good your defense or other areas of your team are, you got to find the right quarterback. So hopefully Siobhan Cordero can develop and turn into the guy that you guys uh, thought he was going to be a year or two ago, because I had high expectations for him too. And I have not really seen him make that improvement. Yeah, I don't think this is a Hawaii team that's bereft of talent in any way. And so you expect them to be better, to play better. Uh, and if they are not playing better, the result doesn't match that expectation based on what we've seen these players do collectively previously. Uh, right. Then you start to question, all right, is it something systemic? Is it something schematic? Is it something within the construct of the program? And as interesting and weird as it may sound, you got these two one in four teams in the Mountain West Conference. And this, in, in a large way, is kind of a landmark game for these two programs, right? It's, it's very much a litmus test. 
You have UNLV on this side with all of the money that Jordan's talking about. They put into the program, this unbelievable circumstance where they get to play in the nicest stadium in the conference, uh, one of the nicest stadiums in, in the country. Uh, yeah. And then you have Hawaii, which is playing in a retrofitted makeshift stadium on their campus that seats a maximum of 9,000 currently. And these are two <laughs> programs that are now battling for many of the same recruits in yeah. this iteration of Mountain West play. And so uh, I think there's a lot riding on this game just in terms of the optics and the imagery. And certainly when you talk about the trustworthiness of the coaching stabs and these respective regimes, yeah, I, I would venture to say that this game is of a much larger importance than anybody on the outside looking in that sees these two squads records, uh, what they would perhaps assume. Yeah, that's interesting because if Arroyo can win back-to-back games here, he's got something he can really pitch to recruits. You know, hey, we're head, headed in the right direction. Look, look at these facilities. Look at the practice facility. Look at the stadium. And Hawaii's kind of recruiting at a disadvantage right now with no stadium and um, probably not a lot of funding for the program. So, yeah, I agree with you there. Yeah, yeah, interesting. It, it, it makes this game, uh, I think, pretty important for Hawaii. The, the wins, as you mentioned, that's so key, especially in the scenario that they're currently finding themselves in. Uh, I do want to switch gears a little bit because, uh, you know, we're talking about the, the strangeness of this matchup and sort of the topsy-turviness of Hawaii's season. Um, but I wanted to switch gears to the NFL because as sort of a layman spectator and fan of the NFL, and I see some of the upsets and road victories that we've seen, especially in the last couple of weeks, it seems like one of the weirdest seasons in the NFL. You have the Kansas City Chiefs that are uh, very pedestrian now offensively. Seems as though that explosive offense has been neutered a bit. Uh, and I just always find it really interesting when we talk with you, Matt, uh, when you look through the, the betting lens on all of the action in the NFL, how has it played out from a gambling standpoint? Has it been as strange uh, from your perspective as it has been to all of us just watching and, and focusing more on the wins and losses? Yeah, I think there's some truth to that. I mean, the NFL has always got it an element of unpredictability to it that um, I think confuses a lot of betters. You, you can't apply too much logic to the games when you handicap them. Sometimes you have to be a contrarian and whatever you expect to happen, whatever seems to make the most sense, bet the opposite. Hmm. Uh, because that's a lot of times that's the only way you can get ahead in the NFL. If you follow the pack mentality and say, well, you know, this is what everybody thinks is going to happen. And you bet that way you're going to get, uh, you're going to lose your ass. Uh, so the NFL this year in particular, seems to have no great teams, no teams you can really count on from week to week, right? Uh, last week, all I heard, you know, I watch NFL Network a lot, and we do shows around the clock, and everybody's touting the Rams and the Bills as the top two teams in the NFL, the Rams and the Bills. And, you know, the Bucks are right there too. Well, before the bye, the Bucks got their butts kicked by the Saints in New Orleans. Uh, last week, what happened to Rams – get run out of their own stadium by the Titans on Sunday night after the Bills lose to Jacksonville nine to six. <laughs> so uh, I think it's very hard to define uh, the elite teams in the NFL from week to week. And the, you look at the decline of the Kansas City Chiefs. How do you explain it? I know teams have adjusted the way they defend that Chiefs offense. But how can Andy Reid and Patrick Mahomes not make an adjustment to it? The Chiefs are 3-16-1 against the spread in their last 20 games. Think about that. They've covered three of their last 20 games, and that's one of the most popular teams for the public to bet on. Uh, so how about the Cowboys? The Cowboys couldn't get enough praise from the national media going into last week. 
and they're behind the Broncos 30 to nothing. You know, that's one of the most confusing things I've seen all season. How do you make sense out of that, that the Broncos lead the Cowboys 30 to zero in Dallas? I'm not going to lie. As much as we talk about the NFL on VSIN because we're a sports betting network, it's a very, very difficult way to make money. And uh, I don't ever try to fool people and say, oh, yeah, this, you know, we kill it all the time. It's easy to win. That's a bunch of BS. It's one of the hardest things to beat. The NFL is one of the hardest things to beat as a sports better. But you have to really train yourself to think like a contrarian. If, if you follow the pack mentality, you got no chance. We're, um, you know, kind of looking at it from a, a little more of a, a traditional lens. But where where do you see this this Raiders team heading? I mean, they have had the season that is, you know, probably going to be made into a documentary or something at some point for all yeah. the wrong reasons. But, you know, they're, they're five and three and they're tied for first in the AFC West and they're, they're in position to go make a run in the second half of the season. Uh, but w- w- where do you see this thing heading for them? Before the season, I actually bet the Raiders season win total over seven because all AFC teams have nine home games. I looked at the Raiders' schedule. I thought with uh, fans in the stadium this year, you're going to have a true home field advantage. I I could see the Raiders winning eight or nine games potentially. And um, they've gotten to this point of five and three, the unconventional way. You lose a home game to the Bears when you look horrible. You know, you beat the Ravens, you beat the Steelers. Uh, they They got some really good wins on the resume. Uh, you're right, though. It's funny you mentioned that. We were talking about this last week. One day there's going to be a 30 for 30 on the 2021 Las Vegas Raiders and John Gruden and Henry Ruggs and all the nonsense that's uh, happened here. That Henry Ruggs situation last week here in Vegas was just uh, sickening. What happened with that, that young girl and her dog uh, burning to death in that car after he hits him at 150 miles an hour? Uh, that's that's, uh, it's, I don't want to uh, minimize it and say it's a distraction for the team because it's a lot more than that. Uh, it's, it's, it's just ridiculous. That was the biggest talk in uh, Vegas for a week. First of all, what the hell is a guy doing driving 150 miles an hour on a city street? And uh, there's, it, may, it makes you start to ask some questions about the organization and uh, whether or not they're going to have to uh, overhaul the way these guys behave in this, uh, in this city. And then, you know, the face of the franchise was John Gruden. And Roger Goodell, the commissioner of the league, does a hit on Gruden essentially just to, get, to ruin his career and to get him removed. And there's a lot of stuff we could talk about with the Raiders. And I actually thought Marcus Mariota a year ago had, had a great shot. John Gruden, Mike Mayock, the GM, they, they love Mariota. They wanted him to challenge Derek Carr for the starting quarterback job. And uh, Mariota was playing well in camp. The car stepped it up. I mean, he's played great the past two years. And he, he basically uh, shut the door on Mariota being the starting quarterback because he's played so well. And you got to think at some point, Marcus Mariota is going to want to go somewhere to be a starter. Uh, pretty much Derek Carr has solidified himself. But it's right now it's a great luxury for the Raiders to have him as backup because uh, I think he could be a good starting quarterback somewhere. Uh, the Raiders have improved their defense dramatically. Last year, they were 30th in the NFL in scoring defense. They allowed 29.9 points a game. Gus Bradley comes in. John Gruden brings him in. The defense has been much better uh, this year. So I think they're headed generally in the right direction, but they're probably going to be an eight or nine win team like I thought they were. They're not one of the best teams in the league. Uh, they can be a playoff team. I think mostly because of what we've seen in the rest of the division, 
The uh, the Chargers have been inconsistent. The Broncos before last week were nothing special. And the, the decline of the Kansas City Chiefs might be uh, the biggest story in the NFL right now. You're talking about the two-time AFC uh, champs and uh, how bad they look. But that's going to be a big game Sunday night. You guys are talking about how great a sports week it's going to be in Vegas. Chiefs at Raiders on Sunday night. And last year, Derek Carr led the Raiders to a near sweep of the Chiefs. They were one play away from sleep, sweeping Kansas City when uh, Mahomes threw that touchdown pass. I think it was to Travis Kelsey in the last minute. Uh, but Derek Carr had six TD passes, led the Raiders to 71 points in those two games last year. Uh, the Raiders are actually 5-1 and one against the spread in their last six as division home dogs. A lot of things point to the Raiders having a great shot to win this game Sunday night. So I think it's kind of a, in a way, a defining game. If the Raiders can win this, I think it's really going to propel them in the second half of the season. If they lose this game Sunday night, I think people are going to start to say, well, they're not as good as we thought they were. And uh, they're going to collapse in the second half of the season, just like they did the previous two years. So it's a big game Sunday night. Yeah, it's, uh, it's kind of one of those wonky NFL seasons, but it always seems to kind of play out like that. Uh, I just got one more for you, Matt. I know you're a big college hoops guy. I know you were at the UNLV game last night. Uh, it's basically opening weekend or opening week in, in, in college basketball, but uh, any particular storylines, teams, players, what have you, you've got uh, your eye on as, as we get the year started? Yeah, I love college hoops. It's great to have it back this week. And uh... Again, we're all disappointed. The Maui Invitational is going to be at Mandalay Bay in Vegas. Uh, but again, Gonzaga right now is the number one ranked team in the AP poll. Don't believe the hype. I watched every minute of the Gonzaga game the other night. I still contend that it's barely a top 10 team right now. You, you lost two of the top 15 picks in the NBA draft. Talking about Jalen Suggs and Corey Kispert. You also lost Joel Ayahi, who's a very versatile guard, and Tommy Lloyd, who was Mark Few's top assistant coach. He lost four key pieces off a team that was 31-1. and one. You're going to bring in a, uh, one of the top freshmen in the country and a couple of new guys. I watched Gonzaga the other night. I, got, I dropped Gonzaga to eighth in the nation on my power ratings. Uh, that team just doesn't have it uh, right now. It's, it's very overrated by the media. I think Kansas looks great, even though Kansas played that opening game without Jalen Wilson, who was suspended. He's one of their Jayhawks' top three players. Like UCLA is legit. Um, Cody Riley actually went down with an injury early in that game. So the Bruins are going to be both out one of their best big men against Villanova on uh, Friday night. Uh, I was surprised. And I hate to see this because I'm, I'm not a member of the Coach K fan club. But I thought Duke looked really good, really impressive against Kentucky on Tuesday night. This is a talented a tough Duke team, and that's uh, that team's going to end up being a force to be reckoned with, I think, uh, this season. So Duke's better than expected, and I would say don't believe the hype uh, with Gonzaga uh, right now. But I love the fact that Zags play a great schedule. Uh, you know, they're going to play Texas on Saturday. They got games against UCLA, I think, and Duke coming up in Vegas in November. So that's one of the great things about college basketball. We get to see the top teams, a lot of the top teams play each other in November in December, unlike college football, right? Yeah, that's what I love about basketball. And, and and unlike college football, everybody, at least in theory, is on the same starting line. They all have a chance, if they do the right thing, to play their way into the NCAA tournament, to win a national championship. 
how do you like that? I mean, that not that what sports is all about as opposed to college football where you have a team like Cincinnati that is ranked number two in the country but can't get inside the top four for the college football playoff rankings. It, it's, it, it's unbelievable. Uh, my last question to you, Matt, is um, one of the great segments on ESPN – uh, the the SVP Sports Center in particular, the bad beats section, and I'm just wondering, as a guy who is so experienced and well versed in the arts of sports gambling, uh, I'm just wondering if there is a horror story that you have, if there's one that stands out to you that still gives you a little bit of PTSD as to just how things somehow went awry when you felt like you had it locked up. Do you have one of those stories? Is is there something that that does stand out in your mind? Are you serious? I've got about. <laughs> I've got about a hundred of those stories. <laughs> Which one is ranked number one? If you watch that montage at the start of SVP's uh, Bad Beats segment, that Northwestern Ohio State game <laughs> from about five or six years ago is one of the worst beats I've ever had in my life. And I've had a bunch. I mean, if you bet sports every day, you're going to compile a bunch of these bad beats. And uh, that Northwestern Ohio State game is brutal. That was like my biggest bet that month. Northwestern was covering for the entire 60 minutes. The only time Northwestern was not covering was after time expired when they threw the ball back into the end zone <laughs> and Ohio State recovered it. How can you cover a game for the entire 60 minutes and lose, right? <laughs> <laughs> that was That's one of the worst beats I've ever – I've got a bunch of stories like that, but you're going to get me fired up. Believe it yeah. or not, uh, I started a sports betting radio show here in Vegas in 2010 with uh, Doug Kazarian and uh, Adam Hill. And long before ESPN ever had talked about sports betting or had that SVP segment, we did bad beats on that radio show. And that's where they got it from. Nice. We actually started we actually started that bad beats feature 11 years ago on a uh, ESPN radio show here in Vegas. Obviously, ESPN does a better job of it because they can show the highlights and they got producers. And it's hilarious the way they put the whole, you know, uh, segment together. On radio, it's a little bit tougher sometimes to explain how bad the beat was. Uh, it's a lot easier if you have pictures to go with it. But, yeah, we started doing that 11 years ago, and that's still – I know people love those, but, it, man, it's painful to be on the wrong side. <laughs> yeah, I'm not surprised that that's something that you guys uh, came up with. Uh, and, yeah, I could sense it just in your voice. The volume was getting raised a little bit. Like, you still feel it. It still boils over a little bit when you uh, when you hearken back to, to some of those moments. I can imagine that for sure. You know, that, uh, that Ohio State-Northwestern game, this is no joke. I lived in a two-story house at the time. And I was watching that game upstairs, and I ripped the TV out of the wall, threw it over the balcony by the pool, and it shattered into like a thousand pieces by the pool. That's how ticked off I was. <laughs> That's a true story. <laughs> that is a bad beat response right there. Well, uh, Matt, you know what? I wish you only good beats from here on out, and, uh, and we definitely appreciate the time. It is always a great, great pleasure talking with you. Thanks again for, for giving us some of your time. Yeah, it's great. To, always great to talk with you guys and great to see Jordan and play golf the last time I was out there in Maui. So um, catch up with you guys again soon and uh, good luck to Hawaii in this football game against UNLV. All right. Big thanks once again to Matt Newman's. Always a pleasure. And again, we wish him nothing but good beats going forward. All right. Speaking of good and bad beats, time for our post game. 
and our best and worst brought to you by Waste Pro Hawaii, Maui's premier full service refuse company offering various sizes of dumpsters and roll off containers for commercial construction and residential use. Family owned and operated with over 40 years of service to the Maui community. Waste Pro Hawaii is committed to customer service and responsible waste management. Visit WasteProHawaii.com for services information. All right. I will start with my best and I'm going back to Vegas. And Max Holloway, who was honored this week with the Forrest Griffin Community Award given to a UFC athlete for their exceptional volunteer and charity work and the meaningful impact their efforts have on the community. Now, Holloway, it's no secret he's known to make appearances at military bases to meet and greet our servicemen and women, as well as children's hospitals. He also recently made a significant donation to the Boys and Girls Clubs of Hawaii, among many other philanthropic efforts. And so we tip our cap to Max Holloway. He is scheduled to fight Yair Rodriguez in a long-anticipated matchup in Vegas this weekend. Man, Vegas is going to be off the hook. There's going to be Hawaii people at every turn. Uh, but I'm wondering how you're feeling about this fight. Long anticipated. It's been canceled a couple of times. Here they are about to do battle. What do you think about Max versus Rodriguez? Styles make fights, right? And and I think this is a, a great matchup. And, and Rodriguez, who is kind of lethal with those kicks, and Max, who wants to set another strike record <laughs> after how can he not be excited after that last fight against Cater, right? Like I want, I wish he was in there sooner. And I know some injuries have derailed things, but I'm excited. I'm excited because I think, you know, another convincing win here. He probably gets another title shot. And, and that's kind of where we expect Max to be. And he's just an awesome guy. Like the, the, the philanthropic efforts that he has gone and, and uh, gone and done. And, and the award is just absolutely deserved. So, so kudos to him. But yeah, I'm, I think this is going to be a great fight. What a weekend, right? Coming up. My God, it's going to be good. If only I could stay in Vegas longer than 40 hours, then I'd be able to enjoy a little bit more of it. All right. Uh, what's your best? My best for this week, uh, just kind of switching gears a little bit because I just saw the breaking news. Uh, Odell Beckham going to sign with the Rams. I don't know if you just saw this. I don't necessarily cheer for the Rams or anything, but I kind of like this whole NFL free agency in season. It's NBA-ish, Right how some teams like buyout guys end up on contenders. It kind of just makes for, for more drama and intrigue. So yeah, I kind of like, I kind of like a little bit of the drama with Odell floating around. Like, where's he going to sign rumors earlier today? Was he going to wait till after the weekend and see where things shook out? But uh, he likes John McMay with, uh, with Odell now and then Matt Stafford. And then those guys running the football still, that's, that's a nice little, Nice little squad they got compiled there in L.A. Yeah, it's getting ridiculous. I mean, they are going all in to win right now. You got to love that. Hey, Matt Stafford's my fantasy quarterback, so I'm all for it as far as giving him more weapons to work with. It's a bit bittersweet, obviously, as a Lions fan to then have Matt Stafford on your team and your fan. That's a whole other conversation. But, yeah, um, the Rams are, are going all out here. Uh, and you think, you would assume, uh, that's probably a good fit for Odell Beckham, right? I mean, uh, they, they will, under that McVay offensive system, uh, find a way to, to maybe make him look a little bit more like what he did when he was a New York Giant and he was uh, taking the league by storm. All right, we move over to our worst my worst, I'm going to go back to the University of Hawaii and, hey, look, this is a good thing, but it's also just kind of a not as good as it could be thing. Fans finally being allowed to attend UH sporting events at full capacity, right, at both the Clarence T.C. Ching Athletic Complex and the Simplify Arena at Stan Sheriff Center. But there are restrictions as of now. They can only drink bottled water, talking about the spectators in attendance, no eating of any kind. Uh, no drinking of any other kind of beverage, whether it be a Coca-Cola or a Sprite or a beer. 
or no re-entry so that people can't like, you know, go back to their cars, maybe eat a bento at halftime and then come back into the game. Like they're not allowing any of that stuff. And a lot of this, this isn't the University of Hawaii's fault per se. A lot of this is based on the restrictions that were levied and continue to be levied by uh, the elected officials at the state level, as well as at the city level. And so it just adds up to a less than ideal experience for the fans, which is always the uphill battle that we seem to be fighting here when it comes to University of Hawaii sporting events, right? Like we haven't quite been able to figure out like how do we make things more enjoyable for the fans? We figured it out at Liz Murakami Stadium. I think that's a great uh, sports watching experience. The Stan Sheriff Center has always been fantastic. I think for the most part, it's still very much the shining jewel of this sports uh, and athletic program. But with Everything that's happened, the debacle at Aloha Stadium and now trying to retrofit a stadium on campus. I just wish that they, the fans could be afforded a, a, a more pleasurable overall experience. And I just don't quite understand the incongruity with allowing them to come in if they're vaccinated, drink from a bottle of water, but not be able to drink another kind of beverage or eat a hot dog or something. I just don't quite understand that. Meanwhile, you can go to Buffalo Wild Wings and you know drink to your heart's delight around several hundreds of people in a, an enclosed space. You can go to a movie theater and, and fill your stomach on popcorn and nachos and all that stuff. So I just don't get it, Jordan. Maybe that should have been in the what the bleep segment. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we, uh, uh, you know, time constraints, but I, I'm with you. It's, it's just frustrating. I think we're seeing a little bit of that, right, with the crowds at University of Hawaii football last weekend and then the University of Hawaii men's basketball uh, last night. We'll see what the crowd looks like maybe this weekend when, when you mix in Wahine volleyball as well. Maybe you'll get a little bit of bigger crowd there. But yeah, I think I think it is kind of leading people to say, hey, look, I'll, I'll just stay home for now, right? And, and, and watch it on TV where, where I don't have to jump over so many hurdles, right? There's still a, a fair amount of hurdles for people to just attend the game in person um, but one thing, those students, man, they're showing up. I, I got to yeah. tip my hands to the student sections at the games since the, the lifting of the capacity limit. They've, they've been terrific. Yeah, that's a good call. Uh, my worst is some of those restrictions. The best could have very well been the student section uh, showing out here this past week. All right. What's your worst to uh, finish this off? My worst. I don't know if you saw this, but um, we got like a Tanya Harding, Nancy Kerrigan situation going on uh, over in France. Uh, PSG, Paris Saint-Germain, big club, huge club, their women's team, soccer, this is, uh, they have confirmed, and, and we just got reports that this individual is released pending further investigation. So I just want to preface this with allegedly um, midfielder Aminata Diallo was taken into police custody. She had allegedly hired mass men to injure her France and PSG teammate Kira Hamarui. Because they play the same position and she wasn't getting playing time. Um, and so allegedly there was some sort of attack that took place. I don't know exactly the extent of the damage or, or whatnot, uh, you know, to Amarui. But yeah, it's it's like Nancy Kerrigan, Tanya Harding all over again. That's this is wild. And to think that like if it if it indeed this is, you know, all factual as the allegations would lead you to believe like how do you think you get away with something like that <laughs> yes yeah. I mean, you get away with it back in 1993 or whatever it was yeah that, that wild wild stuff yeah that changes the whole conversation right the whole dynamic about like the depth chart first string second string is like hey how's that competition going for the starting quarterback job oh it's um it's actually pretty dangerous it's like it just changes 
<laughs> the dynamic completely. Uh, wow, that is a worst story. Well done. And with that, that is our best and worst brought to you by Waste Pro Hawaii. Maui owned, Maui operated for Maui's people. Big thanks once again to Matt Newmans for joining us. Hit us up on Twitter at Kanoa Leahy, at Jordan Helly, or at TalkSports808 if you have a question or comment. Until next time, Jordan, I hope I don't spill anything on this keyboard and this new laptop. Uh, we will get this thing posted. If you're listening, we have. Until next time, Jordan, have a good one. Safe travels, man. <laughs>